Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Food is so deeply ingrained in my brain that it was one of the very first things I thought about after I was diagnosed with cancer. One of the things that I thought was, what am I going to have for lunch? Like, am I going to go back to the office? And I did actually go back to the office and have a panini. The most important thing is you having enough energy and nourishment and fat in your body to deal with everything that this chemo is throwing at you. Has anyone ever received bad news and not been asked by someone they love, would you like a cup of tea? And has that ever not helped to some tiny, 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 tiny degree? Like the warmth, the putting your hands around it, the steam coming up, the the flavor. I think so much of the time we make ourselves feel guilty for eating this, that or the other, you know, whether it's a piece of chocolate or an extra packet of crisps or whatever. But I think both cooking and eating food are two of the best things that we can do for our minds and our bodies. I always say to myself, talk to yourself the way your friends would talk to you because they'll be nice to you. I'm author and journalist Laura Price and you're listening to Life in Food, inspiring stories in bite-sized pieces. Each week I interview a different guest about how food has helped them through some of their biggest challenges. With the different theme each week we'll be looking at everything from food and love to food and family, food and friendship and even food and grief. This week's episode is food and healing And it's actually a bit of a change from the norm because it's an episode with me, Laura Price, timed with the launch of my debut novel, Single Bald Female. I've asked my very good friend, Lucia France, to interview me about the foods that helped me to heal after I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 29. Lucia is a presenter and voice actor who I've known for more than 20 years, so I couldn't think of anyone better to interview me for this podcast. Lucia, thank you so much for taking on the challenge and welcome to Life in Food. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted to be here and it's lovely to see you. You know, I love any opportunity to talk about food, particularly vegan food. Um, But we actually kind of met through food, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So um, for the benefit of the audience, Lucia and I met about 20 years ago when we were working for an event company and basically handing out canapes and champagne to the rich and famous. Eating a lot of them as well. And eating a few of them, yeah. (laughs) Um, I think we probably bonded over a shared love of smoked salmon blinis and and cheese. Yeah, I think we'd sort of give three canapes out and keep one for ourselves (laughs) and uh, maybe maybe sip a little bit of the champagne as well under the bar. Um, But yeah, we were actually both studying at King's College in London. Um, You were doing Spanish and Portuguese and I was studying English literature, but um, that's how we met. You've asked me here today because... You've only gone and written a novel, haven't you? Oh my goodness. (laughs) I have. And 
I'm going to say right here, right now, it's brilliant. I've finished reading it this morning. I absolutely love it. Um, But can you tell me a little bit about it and the audience, of course, and how the idea came about? Absolutely. So it's called Single Bald Female, and it's about a magazine editor called Jess, who is basically smashing it at life. Um, She's got the job, she has the boyfriend, the cat, the flat, and then she is dealt the double bombshell of a breakup and a breast cancer diagnosis at the same time. And she plunges herself into the murky world of online dating with a bald head. What inspired it? It was inspired by my own experiences with breast cancer when I was 29. So as you know very well, I um, had a breast cancer diagnosis um, 10 years ago. So it's actually my 10-year anniversary this year. And um, I also had lots of experiences that kind of came out of that. And I had always wanted to write a novel. And so sort of created this character, Jess, who goes through some of the things that I went through, but also has her completely own story and and backstory and um, lots of different things that happened to her. What was it about the your life um, in terms of work that inspired you about it as well? I've been a journalist for about 15 years um, in the latter years writing about food. Before that, I was writing about finance. Um, couldn't be more different. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think just some of her, some of her ambition, I think, is, is probably something that I have as well. And also just the experiences that you have um, working in a, in a journalism world. So obviously it deals with um, a character with breast cancer, but it's not actually a cancer book. It's kind of about the friendships that Jess makes along the way and the things that she learns as she goes through this horrendous experience in her life. Do you know what? It's, I, I, I just said I really love it, but it's, it's actually a really uplifting book and it's genuinely laugh out loud funny in places as well. I was laughing out loud in bed last night reading it um, in, in multiple parts of the book. Um, and, you know, can I just say it's it's amazing that you've actually done it. You know, everybody they say there's a story in everyone, there's a book in everyone, but most people never even get it to a laptop, let alone <laughs> a printed page. So I'm really, really proud of you for doing it. It's, it's an epic task. Um, I'll never forget when I got the phone call from you to tell me about your diagnosis. You know, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing and just being so shocked that, you know, we were the age that we were and you you had this breast cancer diagnosis. It just came as such a bolt out of the blue. Um, so do you feel like the, the process of writing it has been quite a cathartic thing as well, given that you're coming up to your 10-year cancer-free anniversary? Yeah, Um I don't know if it's necessarily been cathartic. I think it's just been a good experience for me because I've turned it into something positive. And I, I did kind of always try to do that. But I've, um, when you go through cancer, there's, it's obviously horrific. And what I had was, you know, um, easier than what I've seen other people go through. And a lot of people live with cancer and it's just horrendous. And obviously a lot of people die from it as well. Um, but within all that, there's always humor, like there's mm. constipation and there's um, like plucking your hair out and looking like a plucked chicken. And there's always just these stupid, funny moments. So I tried to bring that out in the book and I've tried to make there be funny moments alongside the tragic. And I like to think that it's a really uplifting book. So if anyone's looking at this book thinking, oh God, a cancer book, like that's really daunting. Um, then I want them to think, actually, 
no it's there's some funny bits as well and there's some uplifting bits and oh my goodness there's loads of funny bits I was uh, laughing out loud at multiple times throughout the book oh. and you know it's very uplifting and you know it's and it's true to life as well because you're you know we're all going to know someone who who has it or unfortunately get it ourselves so there's there's loads of uplifting you know ways of tackling these really serious and important subjects how long's it been since you started writing it Oh, it's been more than six years. So right. yeah, the whole the whole process of getting it published has taken about two years from kind of finding my uh, agent to getting an editor and going through lots of edits with them. And then there's a whole publishing experience. I almost said the word journey then, but my character oh, no. hates that word. And so I definitely <laughs> won't say that. But there's a whole publishing um, experience that happens in the in the background, you know, creating the artwork for covers and um, doing marketing and all sorts of other things. So yeah. A long time. Yeah, they, these things do take longer than you think, I suppose. Um, but you do, you tackle these really quite deep and serious subjects so well. But it's actually a book that's very funny and very uplifting. I don't want anyone to go away from here thinking that it isn't because it because it really is. You, did, you made me laugh and cry and laugh again. So, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Well, that's the aim. <laughs> so when's it out? Um, so it's out on the 14th of April in the UK. Um, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, it will be in the shop. So get yourself down to your local independent bookshop and buy it there if you can. You might even find a signed copy. And if anyone is listening from overseas, then um, it will be out in some foreign lands as well. So um, keep your eyes peeled to my Instagram and other socials for details. Absolutely. So Lourdes. To kick things off, would you like to read us a little extract from the book? I'd love to hear it from the horse's mouth. Yes, so I'm going to read an extract which is about the weird and wonderful things that people say when you are diagnosed with cancer. Um, So there's actually a chapter in the book called Shit People Say When You Have Cancer. (laughs) Um, and I love love the chapter titles. The chapter titles are brilliant in this book. You've, You've got to check them out. Oh, thank you so much. Well, th- so this is um, a chapter from when Jess starts to tell her family and friends about her diagnosis. Okay, let's hear it. I pressed the button to accept the call from Lauren. Jess, oh my God, it's the fucking florist. Huh? They've messed up the flowers again. And now Lola's have said it's going to take an extra two months to get the bridesmaid dresses in marshmallow. Lauren, I... I open the cupboard and take down my favourite mug. The one so big, Dad joked I could have a bath in it. Look, I know it's not necessarily what you pick for yourself. I can hear her voice trembling on the verge of tears. It's just really important to me that we go with the marshmallow. Lauren. I fill the kettle and drop a tea bag into the mug, remembering the way mum would always put the milk in first. Jess, I didn't understand how stressful organising a wedding was going to be. It's just so... <gasps> she is crying now, sniffling into the phone. Lauren, I need to tell you something. The comforting crackle and hiss of the kettle. Please don't argue with me, Jess. It's my wedding. You only get married once. At least, I hope. Lauren. Jess, let me speak. No, let me speak. Fuck's sake, Lauren. I've got cancer. Silence for once. In fact, it's quite possibly the first time Lauren has been speechless since the day that hashtag she said yes. Okay, I'm just going to skip forward now to the moment when Jess tells her dad which she's really been dreading I take a deep breath just rip the plaster off that's what dad always says I turn the dial to crank up the heating it's freezing Jesse he sounds surprised to hear from me 
My heart sinks with guilt when I acknowledge how long I've been neglecting him. He doesn't even know about me and Johnny. Dad, I say, my voice already breaking. Love, are you okay? He should shout at me for ignoring his calls for weeks and weeks, but he knows within an instant that I'm not okay. You might need to sit down. You're not pregnant, are you, pet? You know what your mother always said about doing things in the right... Dad, I'm not pregnant. Please, sit down. You're stressing me out. I wrap my hands around my empty mug, even though it's gone cold. Right, I'm sat down now, on that lovely bench your mother chose. I'm so glad we let her choose it, aren't you? Looks cracking in the springtime. Bloody freezing out here now, my... Dad, I've got cancer. No response. Dad? Oh, Jessie. I'm sure they've caught it early, though. It won't be like with Mum. But I'm already sobbing. Are you sure? Sure as the doctor telling me it's cancer. My voice always goes more northern when I speak to Dad. I'm coming to get you. I'll set off tonight. Dad, honestly, it's fine. Johnny will come to my appointments. Willie? I don't even know if we're still together. But I'm your dad, love. I know, but I need normality. I don't want loads of people in the house. I so badly want him to come. I so badly want him to insist. I'm not loads of people. I know. Just let me wait and hear what the next steps are. You've your mother's stubbornness, Jessie. What type of cancer is it? Invasive ductal carcinoma, they said. That word, invasive, so sinister. I picture the cancer invading my breast. I don't know if it's the same as Gran's. So it's in your breast, yeah. I'm going to have to learn not to cringe at my father saying the word breast. Will they have to operate? They said I'll have chemo and then surgery, but there's a load more tests first. You'll let me come down for the chemo, won't you? And the surgery too. Of course, Dad. You never know, love. You might find it's an improvement. I laugh. The boiler is whirring and clicking, the room beginning to warm up. Women are like tea bags, Dad says, putting on Mum's high-pitched London accent. You don't know how strong you are until you're in hot water. Remember that one? I smile, as if I could ever forget my darling Mum and all her wonderful words of wisdom. If only she were here right now. So lovely and so amazing to hear you read it as well. Um... Did that happen often? Like, the, were the reactions that varied and vast? Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think actually the very first friend I told, I told via WhatsApp. Really? Um, yeah, because I was, I was living in Dublin at the time and, and that friend was in London. And I, yeah, I told her on WhatsApp and then I called my mom and then she sort of kicked into action mode and... And then I think the majority of my friends I told on Facebook uh, with a big Facebook post. So because um, I couldn't face telling everyone at the same time. Mm. But yeah. And then the next day, yeah, I, I got so many different reactions. People people saying, oh, at least you can have a boob job now and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think you really capture that well, that that feeling of the the exhaustingness of having to tell people over and over again must be so much. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it is the exhaustingness. Yeah, you just don't want to have to keep repeating yourself and just keep dealing with everyone else's reactions. You just want to kind of cocoon yourself and just, yeah, re- deal with it yourself. Yeah, and that, in that way, Facebook, etc., are all quite good for that. Um, but even in those excerpts you read, you know, you mentioned marshmallows obviously I know that's to do with the color of the wedding uh, bridesmaids and wedding dress and uh, there's a lot of tea in this book so this episode of life in food is about food and healing and there's a storyline in the book about how one of the characters uses baking as part of their recovery so was that part of yours 
Um, no, baking wasn't part of my recovery, uh, but food has just always been part of my life and really, really important to me. So, and, and that storyline came about naturally. Um, Jess actually worked for a baking magazine before she worked for the women's lifestyle magazine that she works at in the beginning of the book. So, um, and she grew up in a tea rooms with her mum making cakes with her mum. So it was more just kind of invoking that feeling of food being love and food being equivalent to self-care and care for others. Um, and yeah, I think all of those things have always been very relevant to me. Yeah, there's and well, the food themes, you know, stands out. There's there's Thai green curry, there's fish pie, there's cakes galore, donuts, obviously. So yeah, it's it really does sort of get you quite hungry at times. Um, but food being a massive part of your life, um, when did that start for you? Food has always been a massive part of my life, and I I don't remember when it started. I remember my dad always used to say when I was younger your eyes are bigger than your belly because um (laughs) because I always used to take way more food from whatever buffet than I would actually eat but I I did eat with relish as well um and yeah I I started off working as a financial journalist and then um after I had the cancer diagnosis I went back to uni and did a, a degree in magazine journalism which was something I'd always wanted to do and then I landed a job working for an organization called the world's 50 best restaurants so I was basically traveling the world and writing about restaurants and a lot of that I still do now so I've kind of incorporated food into my job as well as my life you know it's a tough job but somebody has to do it well and, exactly and check out all these restaurants <laughs> So going back to uh, the book and, you know, it's, there's got to be some biographical element to it because of having your breast cancer diagnosis. So you're coming up to your 10 year anniversary now. Can you tell us a bit about that and a bit about, you kind of alluded to it just a moment ago, but what a turning point that was for you in your life and career as well? Yeah, exactly. So, well, yeah, it, it kind of brought me to food in a way. So um, I was actually working for, I'd actually finished a financial journalism job and I was working for a tech company. Um, and I had found the lump whilst I was in South America and um, uh, and was told basically that it was probably hormonal because of my age and because of statistics. And I was moving to Dublin and because I was moving countries, I ended up going to the doctors there and ended up being told by another doctor that it was almost definitely hormonal um, until it got to four months after finding the original lump when I finally got the diagnosis that it was breast cancer. So it was very easily nearly missed. And that's always been something that's been, you know, really uh, a real sort of important moment in my life and that's why I always tell people now to check their boobs and be aware of their bodies and kind of you know educate themselves and just be aware of what's normal for you um because you need to be able to know of any changes that happen in your body um but yeah I I started writing a blog um about my breast cancer experience and I'd always been a journalist so I've been writing about food and sorry I'd been writing about finance and business up until that point Um, but I hadn't really been writing about me and about my life. And I found this whole kind of new expression, um, in what I could talk about when I was talking about myself and what I was going through and people's reactions to it were also completely different. Nobody ever cared that I wrote a story about bonds in Brazil or whatever. 
Um, but no, they did do go on. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> but they did care when I talked about, you know, what I was experiencing with the with the cancer. So, um, and I think that just sort of re inspired me to be a journalist and to uh, and also to, in the future to write this book. But I thought it, it just gave me that feeling that life is very short and you need to follow your dreams when you can. Mm. So um, I'd always loved food. I really wanted to be a food journalist and I went back and did this university degree when I was 31, the oldest person in the class and, um, and ended up writing about food. And that was, that was the absolute dream. So yeah, cancer in a way led me to, led me to food. And I'm interested um, because I think it's something again, that you capture very well in the book is how cancer and particularly the chemotherapy treatment actually really affects your appetite really affects you know your levels of tiredness the kind of things that you want to eat so um how did your relationship with food change after your diagnosis and did you change your diet at all whilst you were having treatment yeah I mean I've always eaten pretty healthily and I've always been kept fit and you know um obesity is always a factor in cancer but I've never been obese um and always taking care of myself um but I did massively massively up my vegetable intake after after the cancer diagnosis and like a lot of people over the last 10 years or so I've also been cutting down meat consumption uh I hardly any meat I'm not I would like to be vegan someday but I'm not quite ready for it yet (laughs) don't Um, worry we'll get you there (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah a lot of people I think cancer sort of scares you and makes you think should I change my diet completely so a lot of people will do things like cut out sugar or start eating lots of turmeric or and lots of supplements and things and all of those things I kind of experimented with but ultimately I had a oncologist who said to me um just eat what you want what is the most important thing is you having enough energy and nourishment and fat in your body to deal with everything that this chemo is throwing at you because it really saps saps your energy and takes everything out of you so that was my excuse to just eat endless pasta bakes that my mom made (laughs) I went back to live with my mom and dad for a while and um yeah, I would just eat so much pasta and I actually put on weight. So I think it's sometimes, sometimes people do lose weight due to the medication, but I actually put on weight because I had to take steroids, which increase your appetite. So I was just eating all the time. Um, but yeah. I think that's such good advice from that oncologist is, you know, you, our bodies are telling us things all the time. And I'm sure that when you're going through a treatment like chemotherapy or radiotherapy, your body's changing. So you need, your body's going to be telling you or you're maybe just going to it's like fancying something different you know if you're on your period you fancy chocolate or you know that kind of thing yeah definitely and and actually funny enough food is so deeply ingrained in my brain that it was one of the very first things I thought about after I was diagnosed with cancer which was at the hospital that day I basically said that I would go back to the office and it was one of these offices a tech startup tech company in Dublin that had endless food and one of the, I said I would go back in time for lunch. And one of the things that I thought was, what am I going to have for lunch? Like, am I going to go back to the office? And I did actually go back to the office and have a panini that day (laughs) before I went home and started calling people. Wow. So yeah, obsessed. Absolutely. But you know, you obviously needed the nourishment and probably the energy to get you through the day as well. And Um, I think, but I think also it's, it's a mental thing. Like for me, food is the thing that 
makes me happy and it's my normality and it's the gives me sanity and I think that that day I just needed to follow my normal routine and just have have my lunch yeah yeah absolutely when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you found the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So was there a dish um, whilst you were unwell that particularly comforted you throughout that time? And also, were there things that you enjoyed before that during that time or afterwards you don't like so much anymore? Yeah, so uh, there's a there's a few things on that. So before um, the cancer experience, I always used to drink milk with coffee. I would have a latte or a flat white and I drank coffee. So chemotherapy takes away your appetite for caffeine and it just was disgusting to me. As I had chemo, I just didn't want any tea or coffee. But that also took away the caffeine that I was getting. So it doubled the the headaches. It was like going cold turkey on caffeine at the same time wow. as having chemo, which was awful. Um, but actually, I would have, I would often have a, a milky coffee, I think, before I had the chemo, before it took my appetite away. And I've never drunk a milky coffee since because just the smell of a milky coffee takes me back to the chemo ward. It's like a, this trigger thing. Really? Yeah. And then I always used to also have kind of picky salads. So I'd have a bit of salmon, a bit of um, some grains, maybe some leaves or uh, tomatoes and things, just sort of mix of all these things on a plate. And for about a year after chemo, I couldn't eat that at all. Really? What yeah. did? What was it about that that you didn't like? It was. It, it wasn't that I didn't like it. It was the trigger. It was. You know when you've had. It was, you know when you've got sick from tequila when you're seventeen or whatever. Yes, I do. <laughs> I did. I, I obviously didn't do that though, Mum or Dad. Um, and and when you smell tequila, 
mm. for like 10 years, you can't drink tequila again. I actually find sometimes now with hand sanitizer everywhere, yeah. it really smells like vodka or tequila. Which, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, it was it was literally just a trigger um, that, that just triggered the memories in my brain, which I think is quite a common thing with people who've gone through or any trauma, mm. any smell or song or sound could just take you back to that place. So, but fortunately, most of my um, foods have not been ruined by chemo, and I just eat absolutely everything. But yeah, the the, mo- the main comforting thing that I would have was that chicken bacon mushroom pasta that my mum made for me as a child and made for me throughout chemo yeah so real real comforting sort of stodgy home home cooked food yeah um okay so let's fast forward to when you finished your treatment in 2013 and you changed your career entirely and you decided to become a food journalist and obviously you'd you'd never stop writing even when you were really poorly I remember reading your blog and all of that kind of stuff so how did that change come about? Um, well, it, so it was that going back to uni and then um, I actually, after I finished the degree, I intended to go traveling. I think I was going to go to Africa or something. And then this job came up, which was um, they wanted people who spoke Spanish and Portuguese, which is what I did in my degree. And there was going to be food and travel and writing. And I thought I can't not take this job. And then I ended up doing it for um, five years as a full-time employee and then eight years in total now that I'm freelance. So um, yeah, I just I just fell in love with it. I got to use my languages, I got to travel, I got to speak to chefs and just find out these really inspiring stories. And has it ever inspired you to be a chef yourself? You know, you're so surrounded by food. Are you a good, are you a good cook yourself? No, well, you've lived with me, so you know. I mean, <laughs> you know what? I, I always remember your dinners were always so nice because we lived together in our early 20s in a flat in... Southwark and uh, a rented flat and it was great but I always remember my meals just looking so rubbish in comparison to yours I'd like defrost some vegetables and put salad cream on top (laughs) and you'd have a really nice meal made so I think you're doing yourself a disservice oh thank you well I can follow a recipe but honestly I mean perhaps I'm comparing myself with some of the best chefs in the world which is perhaps unfair to myself but but no I can follow a recipe but I'm I'm not creative and uh, that's probably a good thing because I love eating out and trying other people's food and you know nobody needs me to be a good chef but I do love cooking at home and I I find it really therapeutic and really um, just a way to you know we spend so much time on social media and looking at our screens especially since the dreaded uh, COVID the other c word Mm. Um, and yeah I I just think switching off shutting the laptop and cooking at the end of a long day whether it's baking brownies or or making a lasagna or something is just just my my therapy nice and relaxing yeah absolutely so so Laws, over the last eight years since you started writing about food you've obviously gone to some of the most amazing restaurants in the world I've been very jealous of your insta and you spent loads of time traveling so is there a go-to dish that you eat when you get back home? Do you just go, right, no, tonight it's spaghetti on toast. Alphabetti spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, well, I eat, uh, when I'm traveling, I eat a lot of rich food. So I'm in these restaurants, which I absolutely love. I love a tasting menu. But when you have a tasting menu, there's a lot of truffle. There's sometimes caviar and there's really rich flavors. And so when I get home, I want something really, really plain. And actually, I know this isn't really plain, but one of the things I really, really love is ramen. I just find it cleansing and 
clear and just it feels very nutritious um but then the other things i just make a really simple pasta with pesto or um beans on toast can't beat beans on toast you can't with cheese oh yes well vegan cheese for me but i always add a dash of tabasco oh yeah well. lovely into or Worcester sauce maybe yes yes very nice so of the restaurant experiences that you've had around the world do you do you think that any of those meals have helped you to heal or is there anything that equates to healing or comfort in your mind from what you've experienced in these amazing restaurants yeah there definitely is and I think but I think it's partly not necessarily just the food but it's the experience of traveling so there's one that really springs to mind which is when I went to Colombia um about five or six years ago and I ate at this restaurant called Leo in Bogota um it was a tasting menu and I sat down with um one of the chefs there and he talked me through absolutely everything and I'm not joking, I know how this sounds, but it genuinely made me cry. Wow. Um, and it just, uh, the food was incredible, but it was the explaining of the meaning behind the words, but it was also just being there by myself. I was traveling by myself before a friend came out and just that experience of like, wow, you know, I've survived. I, I, I'm now, Bogota was one of the places that I really wanted to visit after I, I, when I was going through the cancer, when I was going through chemo and I was sort of watching everyone else's instas over the summer holidays and seeing people's hot dog leg snaps and, <laughs> you know, all the summer holiday beach photos in the summer of 2012. I uh, wrote this list of all the countries that I wanted to travel to after I was well again. And so Colombia was one of the first ones that I went to I think it was 2015 and so I think it was yeah the the food brought out that a bit of the trauma but also a bit of the wow look how far I've come and how amazing is this that I get to do this and experience this what a wonderful experience and you know I think sometimes when people are so passionate about something as well it's you know you you feel that from them and you know you talk to some people and they say well how good can this food be but you know this tasting menu but I've I mean, I haven't tried that many tasting menus, but you would know. Is it just another level, another experience kind of thing? I think, I mean, so much of it depends on how you're feeling anyway, who you're with, um, how you're feeling in that moment. Because, yeah, I've I've had the most incredible tasting menu experiences. But if you go in there and you're already in a really bad mood or whatever, then sometimes it can affect it. But um, yeah, I mean, what those chefs do is they, and, and the, the ones who are best at it, they really believe in absolutely everything that goes into that restaurant. So they mm. look at every single detail from the decor to the food and the menu tells a story from their life and it's relevant and it just all makes sense. And if they can, like anything in life, if if you really truly believe in what you're doing and you can communicate that to someone else and you can get those feelings across, then it's really powerful. Yeah, it's magic, isn't it, when that happens? Yeah. And so it was partly some of the experiences that you had in your regular day job that inspired you to start this podcast that yeah. we're recording now, wasn't it? Yeah, Tell exactly. Us about that. So, yeah, so I mean, I've I've... I've interviewed so many incredible people and um, 
a lot of the chefs and restaurateurs and people in the food industry who I have interviewed and who have been the most successful have had incredible life experiences that have inspired their restaurants and their food. So, you know, they might have named their restaurant after uh, their late father and um, like, as is the case with Dominique Crenn in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, every food, every um, item on the menu is just so thought about and it's just so incredibly put together. Um, and I think I've I've spent so much time interviewing these people and getting these incredible stories. And then I can only write up, sometimes it's like 300 words or a couple of pages or whatever. Mm. And it's just not enough to convey all the wonderful things that these people have said. And I really wanted to find a place where I could share those stories in full with the world. And so, yeah, that was kind of where the idea for this podcast came about. So did, did you find that writing this book helped you to heal? I mean, I'm guessing you started writing it after you'd had your all clear, but do you feel that it's continued to help you to heal? Um, yeah, I think so. And it's connected me with a lot of people and, um, you know, I've met a lot of people going through similar experiences and all of that is healing. And, you know, the lockdowns were healing for me as well. Like they were hard, but they were every little experience that you have is just kind of teaches you something about how far, how far you've come and, you know, coming up to my 10 year anniversary this year and having a book out, which is something that I've wanted to do for my whole life is, you know, really, yeah, just was one of those things that I'm not going to take for granted and that I'm going to actually be proud of myself and, and say, well done me. You totally should. How does it feel? What does it feel like when you see that book that's sitting next to you there? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, I don't have the hardback copy in my hands yet because we're recording this ahead of the podcast going out and the book being published. So I'm really nervous at the same time as being really, really excited um, I've started to have feedback from uh, bloggers and people who've um, read it early on, but um, I'm really nervous and excited to see what the public think of it and, you know, how it's actually received. But yeah, it's it's exciting, but, you know, it's also raw. It's also like a really personal, um, really soul-bearing piece of work um, that has a lot of me in it, as every debut novel does. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I just, I just hope it does well. And I just hope people love it. And I, I just hope people take what I want them to take from it, which is, you know, a little bit of uplift and a little bit of, um, a little bit of hope. Yeah, I definitely did. And it's such an achievement. Just, just so amazing. Well done. Um, so let's talk about your writing routine for a minute. Um, what are the foods that you eat or do you avoid anything while you're writing? I know that when I'm interviewing people, I tend to avoid eating kimchi before because it's very garlicky. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything that you've eaten while you've been writing this book or just generally in your writing routine that helps you to focus or get in that mindset? I think I'm quite a routine person. So I, I, I would never, ever, ever in a million years skip breakfast. So I always get up in the morning, I have my my green tea with cayenne pepper, then I have a black coffee, and then I have probably either toast, crumpets, or porridge. So I'm quite predictable in that sense. And then I'll usually write in the mornings and then stop for like a proper lunch, usually a hot lunch. 
mm-hmm. either while reading a book or listening to an audio book or watching a bit of TV at lunchtime. And um, and then I'll have a proper meal in the evening as well. So I just in general, I eat a lot. And I think that I probably need to eat quite healthily when I'm, you know, on a roll with the book and just in general, obviously trying to take care of myself. Um, but I don't think there's anything I would really avoid. Um, I do sometimes snack on a few bits and pieces while I'm writing. Definitely. That's allowed. You've got to keep your energy <laughs> up. And I'm, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't conclude this interview without talking about tea. I mean, tea is tea or a brew, as as you would say from being from up north. It, I I don't think a chapter goes by where a tea, a cup of tea, doesn't happen. That so is, I'm really shocked that you have a coffee in the morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost disappointed. That's so funny. I well, I love tea, um, and I actually hadn't realised there was that much. Um, I I'm part of a writing group, and in the very early days, they saw a very 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 first draft of um, the initial chapters, and I think there was pretty much a whole chapter where the character was just making a cup of tea and it was noted by multiple people in the group that I just did did not need to elaborate quite so much on the tea making um I have to say I disagree (laughs) I I really love a cup of tea and I I can't get up in the morning without one I I love the references to tea because it's again it's not I suppose it is part of food it's it's a drink but it's so comforting and the ritual making a cup of tea must have been quite important to this character Jess's character as well yeah and and I I think like it's a very British thing and Mm. it is a healing and comforting thing like has anyone ever received bad news and not been asked by someone they love would you like a cup of tea and has that ever not helped to some tiny 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 degree like the warmth the putting your hands around it the steam coming up the the flavor I don't even know how to describe it and it depends whether you drink milk or whether you have a builder's or whether you have an anemic tea but it's just that it's just the familiarity isn't it and when you go abroad like I've, I've lived abroad quite a lot and when you make a cup of tea in any other country that's not England, it's not, it's the, just, same. It's not the same. The no. milk's not the same. The water's not the same. The mugs aren't the same. I think it's just it's just comfort, and it's just um, yeah. I, I'm really pleased and actually quite flattered that you picked up on that in the book because um, I think it's yeah. I think and, and I do count tea as as food. You know, it's it's all part of the gastronomic world, and it's just tea. Tea is great. Tea is great. And what's your what's your favorite Dunkin' biscuit? Oh, I like a ginger biscuit. I was going to say that. I, ginger nut. I love a ginger nut. <laughs> I could I could pretty much dunk any biscuit, though. Other biscuits are available. Mm. Yeah. Custard cream, maybe. Go yeah. really old school. Yeah, nice. So now we're going to go to the questions that we ask everybody who comes onto this podcast. Your relationship to food, is it fuel or is it pleasure? Oh, my God, pleasure. Always pleasure. Favourite meal of the day? I think I've already given that one away in a previous answer, but definitely breakfast. Okay, so name one meal that always makes you feel happy. Oh, I think Sunday roast. It's basically every meal. That's the that's the thing. I, I actually go to bed at night thinking about what I'm going to have for breakfast. And then after breakfast, I start thinking about lunch. Do you really? Yeah, really genuinely. It, it, it takes over my thoughts entirely. Awesome. Name a food that's healed you. My mum's chicken, bacon and mushroom pasta. And one dish that reminds you of your family. Um, Again, it's going to be my mum's Sunday roast and always with the Yorkshire puddings. Obviously, of course. Um, 
a recipe that everybody should know how to cook. Well, that's an interesting one. Um, I think like like a good lasagna or um or any kind of one pot dish. Like I love stews and casseroles and things that you can you know pop in the fridge and heat up the next day. Um, or anything sweet as well. In my case, it's the chocolate brownies with sea salt on the top. Oh, nice. Okay, this is a big question. Your best meal ever. Oh, this is so tricky and it's one that I get asked quite a lot in my line of work. Um, I have eaten in some of the best restaurants in the world. I absolutely loved Atelier Crenn in San Francisco. I really loved Blue Hill at Stone Barns in New York. Um, I loved Quintanil and Pujol in Mexico. I really love Cosme in New York. Um a casa do porco in Sao Paulo in Brazil. I mean, I could just go on, uh, which is not really a very good answer to the question. <laughs> but I actually also made a Sunday roast for the first time with my partner the other day. And I swear it was one of the best things I've ever eaten just because, Aww. I don't know, just because we made it together. And it's that thing about making something yourself sometimes taste better or even better making it with someone you love. And it's just, yeah, definitely a really, a really tasty thing to do. Don't you find with a roast though, you spend so long making it and then it's over in 10 minutes or is that just me? But we had this conversation as we were making it and we concluded that it's, that the whole experience includes the making. Like you have to enjoy the making of it. It's, um, yeah, yeah, you can't just see it as the end product. That's completely changed my way of thinking about roast dinners. Thank you. So finally, a bit of food for thought. What is the one thing that you would like people to think about when it comes to food? So I think just don't beat yourself up about what you're eating. I think eat what you want as long as you have a good balance. Um, I think so much of the time we make ourselves feel guilty for eating this, that or the other, you know, whether it's a piece of chocolate or an extra packet of crisps or whatever. But I think both cooking and eating food are two of the best things that we can do for our minds and our bodies. And I think as long as you're eating responsibly, getting the right nourishment, you shouldn't feel bad about treating yourself. And that's something that I apply to other areas of life as well. You know, Um, if you don't feel like going for a run or a swim that day, then you're allowed a day off and, you know, you shouldn't. I always say to myself, talk to yourself the way your friends would talk to you because they'll be nice to you and you can be mean to yourself. And I think that applies to food and it applies to so many other things. But, you know. We've got to be good to ourselves. We've got to be kind. So, Do you yeah. know what? I I love that because as someone who experienced an eating disorder earlier on in my in my twenties and and uh, and younger, that is what everybody needs to hear. Because listen to your body, listen to your appetite. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Thank oh, you thank for you. sharing that. Okay, well, thank you so much, Laura, for letting me grill you get it (laughs) toast you lightly grill you about your book and all of your experience with cancer and healing through food it's really inspired me to go and order a takeaway (laughs) (laughs) which is fine Good takeaways are available. Yes, they are. So for listeners interested in reading Single Bald Female, it's out now from all good bookshops and even some rubbish ones. And I honestly, genuinely mean this from the bottom of my heart. I cannot recommend it enough. Go and get yourself a copy. 
Oh, thank you so much, Lucia. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. We've got some amazing guests coming up and I can't wait to share their stories with you. And if you want to know more about my book, Single Ball Female, and hear updates on the podcast, please do follow me on Instagram at Laura Price Writes and on Twitter at Laura Price Write. You can find those links in the show notes too. Thank you. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.